You've probably heard this one. There's two kinds of crazy. There's a man who takes off all his clothes, goes off into the woods, and howls at the moon at night. And there's the man who does the same thing in my living room. Frankly, one of them's none of my business. The other one, I'm kind of forced to deal with. Uh, that's from Hoosiers. If you, have, if you didn't recognize that, I um, shame you. Um, we're, uh, we're spending uh, four weeks talking about evil, uh, about spiritual warfare, and um, what, what Satan is doing to try to combat the church. And, uh, and there's two kind of fights going on. There's two wars we have to be aware of. One is out there. And frankly, we can't do much about it. It's in, you know, it, it just shows up from time to time. It showed up last night in Allen. It showed up last week in Henrietta. And, and when evil comes, we, we pray that the Lord will use it for his own uh, good. But, but frankly, we can't do much about that. Tornadoes are going to hit, and we're going to go and help people, but we can't prevent them yet. Um, but there's another fight. There's another war. There's the one that's going on in our living room. And that one we very much can be in, uh, engaged in. Uh, we can very much learn how to defend ourselves. And, and the war we're talking about is the war that goes on in our own heart between evil, sin, ourselves, whatever you want to call it, the flesh, and the Word of God. How do we prepare ourselves? How do we protect ourselves so that, so that the Word of God bears fruit in our lives? We, we have our own uh, definition of fruit in our church. These are the kind of things we want to see happening in you and, and for you, with you. We want to see you growing more and more confident that God is happy with you, that he smiles at you in Jesus. We want to see you being more and more open and transparent and not having secrets, but being open with yourself and your, your friends. We want to see you healing. We know that everybody in here carries with them wounds from from traumas past, and we want to see you healing. We want to see you experiencing peace. We want to see you inviting others to the party. We want to see you pouring your lives into other people. Those are the fruits that we want to see, and we believe that as we preach the Word of God, we will see them. But for that to happen, the Word of God's got to find root in your heart. Before it'll bear fruit, it's got to it's got to get into your heart and put its roots down and grow. And the sad thing, the, the frustrating thing about hearts, about gardens, about gardening, is that all you have to do to ruin a garden is nothing. I mean, nothing. Weeds just come up. You know, just quit watering them and they'll die. Um, if you don't believe me, come to my house around the first week of August. I will have quit taking care of my uh, flower beds. It's just too hot. You know, that's what October's for. That's when we pull weeds, October, not in August. And, uh, you know, we'll find, it'll, it'll look good, good again by March. But uh, it's just, all you have to do is nothing, and, and everything will die. It's frustrating. Jesus tells us that we have to tend to our hearts. We have to be active. We have to actively tend to our hearts if we want God to bear fruit in our lives. If we want God's Word to bear fruit in our lives... We have to actively tend to our hearts. Please stand as we read about this spiritual battle that's going on within us 
Uh, from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Hear the word of the, lo- the Lord. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the word is the seed of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Jesus goes on to say in this uh, section that everything that is secret will be brought out into the open. Everything that is concealed will be brought to light. Therefore, pay, pay attention to how you listen. Please be seated. Jesus is telling us here that we have to actively tend to our hearts if we want God's Word to bear fruit. Uh, first of all, he tells us we have to, we have to battle the birds. He, he talks about life on, on the path. He talks about the pathway that's been walked over so many times that it's just it's hard, it's compacted. And the Word of God comes and just, the seas just lay on the top of it. And they never can penetrate it because it's been so compacted, it's been trampled on, and the birds come, and the the distractions come, and and take the seeds away before the Word of God has root. And and we learn two things from that. One is, some people, a lot of people, have just been so trampled by life that God's Word doesn't penetrate. Um, When when I was in seminary, we watched a uh, we were watching videos about different evangelism methods and just different things people were doing around the world. And one group was uh, in the Mexico City landfill um, preaching the gospel to those, the, the extremely poor, who were walking around looking for something to eat, looking for something they could sell, uh, just so they could exist for another day. And, and we discussed that as students. We said, you know, you can't really preach the gospel to somebody who's hungry. You've got to feed them first. You've got to take away their fear for survival first. Then you can preach the gospel. You've got to do both. And, um, and without that, they just can't hear it. That's probably not you. I don't see you rummaging around garbage uh, cans too much. 
but it, it might be that life has just trampled you. you know, maybe um, just the traumas of life have just pushed you down so much that, that the Word of God has trouble penetrating, and, and you need to, to seek healing from that so that it can get in. That happens to, to many. And I encourage you to come to me or come to Jonathan and let us get you uh, on a pathway of healing. The other thing this text teaches us is to be careful of distractions. That distractions often will steal the Word of God. The, the crows come in and steal the Word of God before it takes root in our hearts. And, and you know, I think we could all probably spend hours talking about distractions. Um, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a short story back in, I think, 1961, but I'm not good with dates. And he, um, it was about a, uh, an era when America or the government, he doesn't really say America, the government is trying to keep everybody docile and under control. And the way they do that is basically they keep everybody dumb. And so anybody who is intelligent, intelligent enough to string together two sentences, intelligent enough to follow a story, they put a little um, speaker in their ears. And so every two minutes or so, they just send out a noise to distract them. And they're not able to keep their thoughts. They're not able to, the noise just changes their minds, you know, redirects them, and, and they're not able to really put two sentences together or keep a train of thought. And I thought, that's amazing. 1961, and he knew that iPhones were coming, right? And it's true. They're always, always disrupting us. They're distracting us. And it's hard to to, to put those away. And now we even wear them on our watches. And uh, the University of California, Irvine, says that it takes 26 minutes to get your concentration b- back every time it's broken. 26 minutes to really get back to where you were at work. And I, I just I debate that because if that were true, then I would never get work done. Um, but I kind of know it's true. Right? We... You're, you're sitting there talking with somebody or you're listening uh, to someone teach, preach the word and, and you, you, your wrist buzzes and you're, you're just saying, don't look, don't look, don't look. And you can't not, you know? It, and, and, and you didn't hear what was being said and, and then you're wondering to yourself, well, I wonder what they said and I wonder if it was even important anyway. And before you know it, you're gone. And, and Jesus tells us, don't do that. Don't let that happen. Yes, Jesus told you to put your iPhone on the airplane mode. You probably didn't know that, but he did right here. Just kidding. Uh, don't, don't be distracted, and don't be a distraction. Don't be a distraction. Let other, you know, you sit under the preaching of God's Word for 30 minutes a week. This is funny. I'm going to pick on the first service. Y'all are, y'all are doing fine. Um, but... There are, there are men in that first service who I know will make their children wait a hundred miles before they'll stop to go to a rest area. But they can't make it 30 minutes through a sermon. And I'm like, you know, if, if not for you, for everybody around you, just sit. You can do this. Pretend you're driving to Memphis. You know, let the Word of God find purchase.
Well, that's not many of y'all. Let's go to the second p- point. You wouldn't be here if it was. The uh, second point is that some, sh- some soil is shallow. It's, it's got stones just beneath the surface. And so when the, the seed falls on that, the, the roots can't go down, and so it shoots up real quickly. But when the sun comes up and gets to high noon, it withers the plants, and they die. Fascinating thing about this text is this. It's the sun that kills the plants. Now think for a minute. Can you grow plants without the sun? No. You, well, in an era without grow lights. Um, no, you can't. The sun is what nourishes plants. The sun is what makes plants grow. But if you don't have root, that same sun that makes plants grow kills the plants. Some people, when they go through trials, I mean, James says it, Peter says it. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. For the, this suffering that you're undergoing for a short time, it's, it's perfecting your soul. Some people, are their, their souls are perfected by their trials. Other people, they say, well, if God's not going to prevent this, what good is he? And, and they, they go away. They go find something else. And, uh, you know, one of you said to me a few years ago, and it just kind of found its, it etched its mind, way into my mind, um, looked at me and said, I thought becoming a Christian made everything better. And I'm so sorry somebody told you that. It is not true. Becoming a Christian makes you better. It makes you more able to withstand difficulty. makes you more able to withstand distress and suffering and hurt. makes you stronger but the world is still the world. The world still hurts. The world still has evil in it. And we're all going to experience it. It's just hard for all of us. So how do we make sure that we have thick roots, deep roots? How do we make sure we don't have stones under the soil? Well, I would just urge you uh, to, that you play like you practice. Um, how, do you, how do you respond to small stresses? How, have you, how did you respond to, to suffering when you were in high school? Think about when you were a young Christian. Because if you don't intentionally change, then that's just going to continually be the way you do it. If you just ignored problems and watched TV, if you ignored problems and went shopping, uh, if you ignored problems and you know life was hurting, and so you, you silenced that by eating peanut butter or drinking, then you're probably going to do the same thing as an adult. You play like you practice. So get start practicing sitting in your sadness with Jesus. That is what he does. The, the miraculous, wonderful thing about the Son of God is he did not stay in heaven looking at us going, man, that looks like it stinks. But he came down to be with us. And if you'll let him come and sit with you, he will change you. I'm not going to promise you he'll give you what you want. I can't make that promise. But I promise you he will change you very likely so that you will want what you have. And he will enable you to walk through it. There's distractions and there's 
rocks and there's stones. But thirdly, and this is really the thing that, that applies to us. I mean, most of you, if you were in, in these, either one of these two groups, you'd be out there somewhere. But um, the third group that I think is the most dangerous is the weeds. And, and why do I, I think it, the weeds are the most dangerous? Because the soil is good. The soil is good. That's why there's weeds there, right? Weeds don't grow on stones either. Weeds don't grow on the path either. Weeds grow in good soil. When I was uh, first trying my hand at flower beds in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, I got out and went and bought, you know, those little shaker packs of seeds and I, I tilled the soil and we put some loam in it and, uh, I don't know, peat moss and made it real fluffy and nice. So we put the seeds out. And, man, I mean, seeds, things were coming up in days. And I was so excited. Things were growing. And I went and got my landlord, and she said, what'd you plant? And I told her, and she goes, I said, look, see what they are, and here they are. And she said, I'm not sure that's what you planted. Oh, yeah, it is. Might be weed. No. And we said we were moving, actually, that summer. I said, well, just send us a, a picture or a postcard to let us know how it looks. And she goes, oh, I will. And, uh... Two weeks later, we get a postcard with just the word weeds. <laughs> oh, that's us. Good soil. We want to be good, but it's hard. It's hard because there is worry. The worries of life. Um, that's, that's how Matthew says it. The worries of life. Anxiety. The, the going back and forth. And we can't really sit under God's word because we, we're just worried about so much. Our, our jobs, our families, our kids, our future. And, and, and we just can't silence those things. And we know that Jesus tells us, don't be anxious about your life, what you will wear or what you will eat. Your Father in heaven knows about these things. He feeds the birds. He clothes the flowers. He's going to take care of you. And he, he tells us there's two ways we, we really deal with anxiety. One is remembering the fatherhood of God. He tells us, uh, cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. Prayer is not worry. And worry is not prayer. You, you know that, right? <laughs> Worry is worry. accomplishes nothing. Well, makes wrinkles, robs you of sleep. It accomplishes negative things. Prayer is taking those things out and going, Okay, Lord, I'm really worried about my son. These are the reasons why. And I confess that I can't, I just don't trust that you love him more than I do. Even though I know you do, I don't trust that. Will you take care of him? And then, uh, to quote Tim Keller, you, you take your hands off the steering wheel of your life and let him drive. You, you just trust him. Now, of course, you're going to make decisions and be wise, but, but worry, worry is, is trying to grab the steering wheel. It's trying to be a backseat driver. It's trying to say, no, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. Worry is the belief that God's going to get it wrong. And... Sometimes we just got to stare at the cross until we understand that he got it right. He loves us. We can trust him to be a good navigator. And we'll be ready wherever he goes. But, but worry. Uh, the, the wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth, uh, the, the belief that, 
that more money will make us happy, will make us better, will solve our problems. And, and, and we spend all of our time thinking about how we can get more, more, more. Uh, it, it was interesting. When I was in Nashville uh, three or four weeks ago, a friend of mine, uh, I just kind of went to, to friend to friend to see how they're doing and talk with them as long as they wanted to. And, and one of them, he said, let's go eat lunch. And, and we shared lunch together. And he, he basically just said, I don't want to talk about the shooting anymore. Can we talk about anything else? I said, lead the way. And uh, it was interesting because he turned to this topic. He is a venture investor, a venture capitalist thingy. Uh, and so he works with some of the richest people in the country venturing their capital, I think. Um, it's not clear. But... Anyway, for some reason, he found it was important to look me in the eye. I said, Ricky, look at me. I work with the wealthiest people in the country. They are not happy. They are some of the most miserable people I ever have seen. I know. I promise you, more money will not make you happy. I was like, who do you think you're talking to? I don't got no money. But anyway... um. Yeah, you know, he, he, because I'm the one, because I don't have money, I'm the one who's so apt to believe that it would solve my problems. I'm fine. I don't mean to sound like I don't have money. You know what I'm saying. Uh, Paul says in Timothy, 1 Timothy, he says, Those who desire to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful schemes that plunge men into ruin and destruction. It's the desire to get rich that, that makes us so susceptible to temptation. Bianca made me memorize that when I was in seminary. Can't imagine why. Uh, she, it's, it's right there. It's that desire. It's, that, it's just that money is such a liar. Wealth is a liar. You know, John Jacob Astor said, the, the care of 20 million, this is back in the early 1900s when 20 million could buy you something. And he said, the care of 20 million is just, it's more than any brain can conceive of it is more than any shoulder can bear come on every one of us just thought give me a shot i think i can it's deceitful and the deceit of riches chokes out god's word i had a student at mississippi state and he was uh was pre-med and he's studying for the MCAT, and I was talking to him, and he was miserable. He's just miserable. And I said, what's wrong? He said, well, i got to take it. I haven't been studying for it. I can't make myself study. All right, well, why not? Tell me about it. Let's talk about it. He said, I don't want to be a doctor. I'm like, well, that would be a problem. And he said, my dad's a doctor. He's miserable. All he does is complain about his hours. My brother's a doctor. He's finishing up his residency. He's working 23 and hours and 59 minutes a day i don't want to do that that sounds miserable so what do you want to do i want to teach history i want to coach a baseball team i want to mentor high school boys through all the trials of life i want to do something that i I think i'd really enjoy that and find that meaningful i said why don't you go do it just this is not a unsolvable problem go do it and he said you don't understand how people look at you when you tell them you're pre-med they just respect you so much more. And I said, okay, let me, let me just see if I got this right. You're saying you're willing to be miserable if it makes you able to impress people you don't like. That's it. 
Okay, I think he's a school teacher in Greenwood now. It's the deceitfulness of wealth and its pleasure. Pleasure is at work in the weeds. Uh, the pleasure that, that just keeps us looking for a, for a high. And I think this is every one of us here. Every one of us. We're so addicted to pleasure. And, and we can't really not be. I mean, your standard is just your standard. And, and we're always looking for something that's just a little better. There's this chemical in our brain called dopamine. And when you get something special, it, it fires and it feels so good. And sometimes I get asked, um, why do I think there's so much depression and anxiety and those kind of problems in the world? It didn't seem like they used to be. And, and I, my answer, and I have no proof of this, but my answer is basically because life is so good. I mean, we don't really know hardship. Not real. I mean, trauma, yes, but hardship? Not really. Like my mom, for instance, and I know you are sick, about hearing, sick of hearing about her, but frankly, you're going to. Um, my mom picked cotton. When, when the cotton harvest was ready, they canceled school, and everybody went out into the cotton fields and picked cotton by hand. For six days a week, they'd pick cotton. And, and on that seventh day, they would gather their money, and they would walk down to town, and she would buy ice cream. And I promise you, there is nothing in your life that brings you the joy that that ice cream brought her. The last thing I was able to do for her, she, she was like, Ricky, will you please go to the Sonic and get me a milkshake? <laughs> yes, Mom, I'll get you a milkshake. So I went and got her one, and, and a strawberry milkshake, and she just sucked on that straw, and the smile that came on her face, and I just, I never enjoyed anything like she enjoyed that milkshake. And... The, the, you see, the, there's this weird thing that happens. The, the better your life is, the stronger something has to be to, to give you that dopamine hit. I read an article about why wealthy children tend to be addicts more often. And the conclusion they came to is if your life is basically one big amusement park, if you you're always have the, the best, you're always enjoying things, then you get to a point where only heroin can give you a high. And, and we're in that. I don't, frankly, don't know how you avoid it. I can't imagine not spoiling my kids. I mean, I gave them, I give them everything they asked for. I had one during church just text me asking me for money, and he got it. You know, and I was thinking about all these responses, like you, you have money, spend your own money, and all the things I could say, and and I was thinking about those as I was sending him Apple Cash. You know, so I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think we need to be talking to each other about it, and. And, and that's one of the things your community group's for, is just kind of holding each other accountable to, about the weeds. Are we, are we getting choked out by the weeds? And then there's one other weed um, that Jesus talks about before he explains the parable. And this is the, this is the big one. This is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a vine that's gotten so big that it's choked out a tree. Um, it's that kind of vine. It's that kind of weed. And it's self-righteousness. And you're saying, I don't see self-righteousness in this text. Ah, let me show you. Look at verse 10. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. What does that mean? 
It means he intentionally told parables so that those who don't get it won't get it. Those who don't know their need for Jesus will never understand a parable. And the reason why is you always get to decide who you are in the parable. You get to pick who you are. And so if you're sitting there reading this parable going, oh man, I know somebody like that. Oh gosh, I know so many people who just withered away and died. Oh yeah, man, I know so many people addicted to worry and pleasure. That's why the Word of God's never going to find purchase in their hearts, never bear fruit. I got news for you. Self-righteousness has you in a chokehold and you don't even know it. If you don't know that you're the person struggling with the weeds, if you don't know that you're the shallow soil and you need, you need somebody else to come and remove these rocks, if you don't know that your heart is hard and more times than not, it just sits on us. And we forget it before lunch. I mean, we, we say we've had a quiet time, but really when we think about it, we don't remember a word that we read. It's us. It's all of us. But I've got good news for you. The good news is seeds don't weed. I mean, ground, dirt doesn't weed itself. Flower beds don't weed themselves. Rocks don't remove themselves. Uh, hard paths don't plow themselves. Somebody else has to come and do it. And Jesus will do it if you ask. He is the one who bore the weeds. He had the crown of thorns pressed down upon his head. He is the one who bore the, the hot, withering sun. He, he quotes the psalm that says, My strength is dried up like in the dead of summer. He says, I thirst with one of his final words. He is the one who, who suffered Satan's attacks for us. For us. And he'll rip those things away if you ask him to. He never refuses anybody who asks. So ask him. Ask each other, hey, what what weed am I not seeing? And then start praying that the Lord will remove it. It, it. It works if you work it. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you, uh, weedy, rocky soil. Father, I confess that I am riddled with all four of these weeds every day. And we thank you that you're not like me. You don't get tired of pulling weeds. And I pray that you would gently, lovingly dig out the weeds and the rocks from all of us so that your seed would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.